And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is God's, excuse me, this is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Carol. Merry Christmas. You all can be seated. We as a church have spent December um, looking at promises, prophecies in the book of Isaiah uh, and, and looked at the promise of a coming king. And so we've been in, in Isaiah 9 and 11 and, and, and every week have just been encouraged as to ways that we can look at how God's plan was to provide a savior, a rescuer. And so as we come to this shortest of passages we're going to study so far this month here on this final gathering before Christmas, this Christmas Eve, uh, we come to a verse that's maybe familiar to some of us, maybe new to others, um, but let's pray with each other, me for you, you for me, and, and ask God to help us in, in new ways, in deeper ways, understand the significance, the meaning of what we're gathered to celebrate. So let's pray together. It's a gift, God, to be with one another in this moment. There's little gifts, like, you know, muffins with the coffee. Um, there's big gifts, like being together with friends and family. But the greatest gift is, is Christ. And we ask, Father, that, that the Spirit of God would help us see and wonder and respond in worship to the profound good news that is Christmas. So would you, would you lead us in these coming moments? We pray this, Jesus, in your name. God's people said, amen, amen. Well, Christmas Eve can be one of the best days of the year, right? It's uh, a time where preparations are almost done, hopefully, you know, I got one of those Amazon notices just now. This is the gift might arrive on the 26th, which is like, come on. But hopefully you're not in that boat. Hopefully everything's done. And then it's certainly a day where like anticipation is like at an all-time high, right? If you're a parent, you certainly know that. Like my kids are locked and loaded. They couldn't take it if there was one more day. Uh, things would go off the rails, right? And I'm probably there with them. It's really exciting the day before what we get to do. Already there's like this collision of family and friends and food and gifts and celebration that are, that are colliding in this joyous day. And the passage that Carol read from Isaiah 7 is fitting for great days. For really great days like Christmas Eve can be. Emmanuel means God with us. And God is certainly with us in the joys of celebrating Christmas. And yet, this Christmas may be hard for you. Maybe every Christmas season is hard for you. Maybe especially Christmas Eve 
can be a difficult day for a lot of us. A day that's a day you feel hurt or you carry worry and you're anxious or there's a burden. A day that we feel guilt or shame. A day that we know grief. If that's where you find yourself Christmas Eve, I would hold out the fact that this verse is especially for you. Because the setting where this passage arrives, the moment when this passage is made, the circumstances in which this this Christmas promise was originally provided, it wasn't a day of anticipating celebration. It was a day of real darkness and danger. It was a day of betrayal. It was a day of anticipation of a destruction that looked to be on the way, death that looked to be on the way. The context, the the setting, the history of Isaiah 7 is that there was a a, a nation called the nation of Judah and it was led at this time by a king named King King Ahaz. And and long story short, a neighbor that should have been friend, if not family, to the nation of Judah had partnered with their arch enemy and they had partnered for the purpose of the destruction of this nation. And so King Ahaz, he's looking around and he seems to be outnumbered, outgunned, if you will, and he is understandably afraid. And yet God in his grace, through the prophet Isaiah, is coming again to remind King Ahaz of reality, of history. Hey, time and time again, God's people have been in peril, and time and time again, God has been faithful and brought rescue and redemption and salvation and protection And so the issue at hand in Isaiah 7 is the issue of trust in the Lord. Ahaz is struggling to do it, and yet God in his grace through the prophet Isaiah is calling him to believe. And so Isaiah is sent from the Lord to a very specific place. Hey, meet King Ahaz. He's going to come on this road, and I want you to share a message. And the message was essentially this. Hey, have faith, King Ahaz. You can count on God. Ask for a sign so you can count on God. It can be be anything. Ask anything from the very depths of the earth to the very heights of the heaven, as big as you can imagine. Ask God that he would give you a sign that he's faithful and he's going to rescue you from your enemies. He'll give it to you. It's this intense moment. Imagine this prophet on the road confronting this king, but functionally in a real way, it's like, hey, King Ahaz, here's a blank check from God. Signed. Ask anything, any sign that you can imagine. God is saying he's got your back. What do you need to see? What do you need to have happen to know that God's faithful, that he's with you? And we might expect the the intensity and the anticipation of that moment. What's the king going to ask for? But the tragedy of what happens is King Ahaz takes that blank check and he tears it up. He won't receive it. He refuses to take God up on his offer of an incredible gift. Isaiah 12, or 7, 12 records for us King Ahaz's response. He says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. <laughs> it's kind of like veiled in humility. That sounds really spiritual, right? 
But the context of, of the story is we know that King Ahaz actually doesn't, doesn't want to rely on God. He's, his, his pride is wearing a mask of humility because he's self-dependent. In the midst of his fear and his worry, he's in his own power scheming and trying to save his people himself, not rely on God and partner with powers that are going to break their promises. Ahaz doesn't want to sign because he doesn't believe he needs God's help. And so we think at this moment, Isaiah would, would brush his hands and walk away and say, you're a lost cause. And he does bring a rebuke. Old Testament prophets tend to be intense and straightforward folks. And he says in verse 13, Hear then, O house of David, speaking to King Ahaz, is it too little for you to weary men that you also weary God? Essentially like, it's not enough for you to exhaust me. You have to exhaust God as well. But he doesn't stop there. This king won't ask for a sign, a gift from God. He thinks he doesn't need one, but God is a God of grace. And in grace, he gives gifts that we don't earn, don't deserve. And so in grace, God promises a sign for King Ahaz and the people of Judah anyway. So Isaiah says to him, in the midst of his refusal to ask for a sign, an amazing sign is going to come regardless. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the promise. Someday a child would be born, born of a virgin. A son will come and his name will be Emmanuel. And if you're reading that in Isaiah, it's going to have a little footnote in your Bible likely. And it will say in that footnote, Emmanuel means, as we've said, God with us. The promise is, hey, the enemies of God's people are doomed because God is with his people. And the immediate history is that, that God does work in the life of Ahaz and the nation of Judah to save them. But that promise is so wonderful, so profound. It actually is much, much greater than that salvation in that moment of history. It resounds and rings all through scripture. It's a promise of the greatest salvation God will ever bring about. When the gospel of Matthew is written about the life and the ministry of Jesus, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, at the beginning of that gospel, the author, Matthew, he refers to this verse to help us understand what the meaning of Christmas is. The Christmas story, Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame. He resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means 
God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So God's promise of Emmanuel, God with us, and Isaiah Chapter 7, verse 14, it's, it's not just about the momentary salvation and rescue of the people of Judah and King Ahaz. It's about ultimately and fully the best news, the birth of Jesus, the child born of a virgin to save us, not from forces gathering on a border, a greater enemy even than that, the enemy of every human being for all time, the enemy of sin the thing that separates us from God, the thing that robs us of abundant life, the thing that, that is an a enemy to us, that separates us from how we were meant to live in God's presence with him. God with us was how it was always meant to be from the beginning. But our nature and our choice is to rebel from life, rebel from God's rule. And we're inundated with a thousand different reasons to celebrate Christmas. Some really good, some not so good. But Christmas boils down to this one thing, one word, Emmanuel. These three incredible words that sum up the meaning of Christmas is God with us. How we were meant to live, what we were created to experience, communion with God. It's the promise that Christmas keeps so to help us prepare our hearts to understand this in a, in a deeper way, to celebrate Christmas in a more wonder-filled way, I want to put before us a pretty straightforward question, which is, hey, why is God with us? If the reason for the season is that Jesus was born, well then, why was Jesus born? Why is Emmanuel good news? Why is it worth celebrating? Why are Two plus billion people tomorrow going to get up and have a party because of the birth of Jesus. Well, to answer that question, I want us to look to the very words of Jesus in his ministry in the Gospel of Matthew. There's a few instances where, where Jesus says in Matthew, I have come. The Greek word, erhumai, it, it means to come from one place to another. I've taken a journey. I have left the very throne room of heaven and I've come to earth. And then he gives real good news reasons as to why he's made that journey, why he has come. Why is God with us? Why is Christmas worth celebrating? Let's listen to Jesus tell us why, the significance of God with us. The first thing I want us to see is God is with us to give us grace. Matthew 9. And Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, Jesus, heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what it means to desire mercy, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
See, in Jesus' ministry, time and time again, he always, always moved towards the outcast. He loved those that were considered unlovable. He touched those that were considered untouchable. The lost cause he moved towards, those on the fringes, the outcast, he drew near. He always showed grace and mercy and love to the sinner. And this is a profound example in this passage of Jesus doing that because he's He's having dinner with tax collectors. And, and even if we're really familiar with the gospel, sometimes we can forget just the scandal of that. We're like, hey, it would be weird to have a party with IRS agents, but not like offensive to me. But tax collectors in Israel 2,000 years ago were political traitors. They were religious heretics. They were agents of personal oppression who were by far the most reviled and hated men in Hebrew society. They took jobs that paid really well, but the job description was the oppression of their own people to fund the occupying Roman Empire over Israel. And often, if not always, that not only took taxes for Rome, but they took more than what was needed to enrich themselves. Tax collectors were the lowest of the low. They weren't victims more than they were villains. They had really hurt people. They had really betrayed people. They had really done wrong. And yet this is who Jesus is having dinner with. Pastor Douglas O'Donnell, he explains it really well. So here's Jesus, the Lord God of the universe, Reclining with the reprehensible, dining with the detestable, communicating with the unclean, supping with the scum of society. Here's Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, sharing a meal, uh, sharing meal fellowship, the most intimate social custom in Jewish society with unclean Jews and Gentiles and extending to them fellowship with God. And so seeing this, the religious, self-righteous elite of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, they see this and they're, they're offended. They're upset. Why is Jesus spending time with people who are so messed up, right? If they believe Jesus was from God, even God in the flesh, he wouldn't dare spend time with sinners, those people, and the Pharisees are, are tripped up by this because their view of their relationship with God was a lot like the reality show, The Voice. Right? Anybody seen The Voice? My kids are big Voice fans. It plays out like this. A contestant gets up on stage and there's judges that have their backs turned to the contestant. And if that contestant sings well enough and performs well enough, a judge will then decide to, to hit a button and turn around and actually face that contestant and then invite them to be on their team. So the Pharisees think that they have performed, they're impressive, they have actually garnered God's attention, that because they're so great, God has actually turned and take, took it, taken notice of them, and then now they're invited to be on team righteousness, right? And if they keep it up and they hit all the right notes, they get to stay on God's team. They've earned it because they're so great. But then they see Jesus hanging out with people who can't sing at all. They're horrible. They can't carry, they're a hot mess. They're cringy when they get up, right? And, and take the stage. And they're saying, why on earth would you add those people to your team, Jesus? Why do you want to spend time with them? They're not impressive. They don't have it all together. They're not righteous. They haven't earned God's favor. 
And Jesus hears these complaints and he says, you don't understand the very heart of God. You don't understand what has been promised. I've come not for the righteous, those who think they have it all together. I've come for the sinner, those who know they need rescue. Why is God with us? Jesus answers, for I came not to call to invite the righteous, but the sinner. Imagine for a moment, there's a door in front of you. And you take the handle of that door and just about the moment you're going to turn that handle and enter in, you, you know, you realize it is revealed to you that on the other side of that door is God himself. And me more than anybody, if I knew that, there's real things in my life that I would carry that would cause me to pull back my hand in fear or shame or guilt. I would recoil from entering in and think on some level, I, I can't go in there. I can't be with him. He doesn't want to be with me. Emmanuel, God with us, what does that mean? Jesus here says it means that that God kicks down that door. He decimates it, crushes it, ruins it. He breaks through that door and says, no, 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 no. I long to be with you in the brokenness of your life, in the darkness that you find yourself in, in the sickness that is sin that's infected you. That doesn't prevent me from wanting to be with you. It's, it's why I'm drawn near, because I, in love, long to heal you, to shine light into the darkness, to raise you from the dead. The message of Christmas is not, hey, you have to earn God's attention. The message of Christmas isn't you have to perform well enough for God to take notice of you and choose you. The message of Christmas isn't that your righteousness brings about God's love. The message of Christmas is that Jesus came to be with sinners. Which leads us to the final thing I want us to see. Why is God with us? Why Emmanuel? God is with us to give his life. This is Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. And Jesus says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, the context of this verse is that Jesus is walking with his disciples, and even though they've been walking with him for a while, they still haven't got it. We've been walking with him for a while. Many of us in this room, we still haven't got it. Thank thank God for the grace of God. And so they're arguing, following Jesus for a long time, they're arguing about who's the most important, who's the greatest. And Jesus overhears this and confronts them and says, look, 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 look at me. If you really want to be great, it means you serve. If you really want to be important, significant, consider yourself a slave to serve others. 
Because the son of man, that was Jesus' favorite title for himself. It's a reference to a promise in Daniel about the, the promised savior king from God. The son of man, Jesus speaking of himself, his whole purpose. Why is he here? Why God with us? Why Emmanuel? Because I've come not to be served, but I'm here, God in the flesh, God with us, to serve and give my life as a ransom for many Why is God with us? Why do we celebrate Christmas? What's its meaning? Why did Jesus come to serve when we see that baby in a manger? The vulnerability of a child, totally dependent for everything, so vulnerable and breakable. When we see the reality that that the eternal son of God did not lay down his divinity, did not stop being God, but fully became human to the extent that he actually was a child that that nursed at the breast of his mother, that had to be fed, that was cold, that was killable. That the plan all along was for that child to to grow up and live a life, life of service to serve in ministry, pour himself out for others, but ultimately serve by giving his life on a cross. Yes, he came to give grace and mercy for the sinner. He came to heal us of our sickness of sin, but how? Like, what was the remedy? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so this Christmas Eve, as we light the the final Advent candle of love and we wonder upon and meditate upon what, what does love mean at Christmas? Love means this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus said, there's no greater love than this to lay your life down for a friend. Jesus' best friend, writing about him, said, by this we know what love is. Jesus laid his life down for us. And Paul, writing to the early church, said, God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, once said that that Jesus Christ was the only person born for the sole purpose of dying. The cross was the plan from the beginning. As the angel told Joseph in the dream, he will save his people from their sins. So God with us means God loves us. He came to serve and he came to give the ultimate greatest gift of all history to lay down his very life for us so that we may have life. Sinners who need salvation, he came and paid the price that we deserved. That is the gift of Christmas. So if you're a Christian today, we get to come to a table and communion in a real way can be a Christmas meal where we can reflect on that baby in a manger but celebrate that 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 child will grow up to give his body as a gift, a sacrifice for us. That Jesus said in John 18, for this purpose I came, the cross, that his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you're here this morning and you're just 
reflecting on what the meaning of Christmas is and you're not so sure what you believe yet, there is an invitation still today, especially today for you, that there's a gift that's free. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. That's the story for each and every one of us, but it's, it's freely yours. You just receive it. The life of Jesus given for you. Your sins forgiven. True life found in him. But it does make a claim on each and every one of us. See, if that baby in the manger was just going to grow up to be a great moral teacher or even a prophet, but he wasn't God with us, we ought not celebrate Christmas. We should skip just to New Year's. Christmas is a waste of time. There is no virgin birth. There are no miracles. It's implausible. But since that baby in the manger is Emmanuel, God with us, everything scripture claims about Jesus is true. The virgin birth, the walking on the water, the, the, the water to wine, the, the, the calming of a storm with this very word, the healing of the sick with a word, the, the resurrection of people from the dead with a touch, his resurrection itself, God with us. What can God not do? The author has written himself in the story. The creator has become the creation to be with us to move close to the sinner, to serve us by laying his life down, to raise from the dead so that we may rise with him. This is the gift of Christmas. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask that you would help us wherever we find ourselves this morning respond in faith. For those in Christ, that we would come to the table and celebrate the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ Jesus and look upon the greatest gift ever given, the life of Christ. That baby that came down from heaven and lay in a, a feeding trough, the humility of that. The very eternal son of God becoming vulnerable and breakable, would one day be lifted up on a cross willingly to give his life that we may have life. Will that wonder strike our hearts anew today? And for my friends who are just exploring the claims of, of the faith and who you are, would you reveal truth to them in this moment? Help them receive the gift of faith. We pray all this, Jesus, in your name, God's people said, amen.